Good morning. Um, the uh, the first thing I wanted to say is uh, you know sorry there are not any song sheets that that's that's me I was supposed to do that and didn't print them didn't bring them. Uh, my defense is that I took a whole bunch of cold medicine this morning, so I can't really be held responsible for anything that happens today. Um, so this week, uh, I feel like I have said this in nearly every sermon in this series, but this week we're talking about showing honor, uh, and this week I was not excited about it. Uh, at our house, sickness visited uh, which means that Jen was out of commission for multiple days this week, which meant that like the, you know, a hundred million things that she does every day I had to do. Um, and I wish I could tell you that I was just joyful and happy and sweet about all of that. And I just cared for her in such a great way and showed her honor in every moment of every day. Uh, you can tell by how I'm saying this that I did not do that. And at one point during this week, uh, after one of those interchanges where I was a little grumbly, uh, the Spirit was just like, hey, what are you preaching on this week? And I was like, come on! <laughs> and the week got a little better after that. But this, this is, is one where that, that hits me where I live. Um, and so it was really convicting this week. Um, and honestly, I think even if Jen didn't get sick, sick this week, this would have been convicting to me this week. Just the, the need for us to show one another honor and to, to outdo one another in showing honor uh, has been really convicting to me this week. And so it's my hope that uh, after this sermon that you can join me in that and you can feel bad too about the ways in which you fall short, but not just stay in our feeling badness, but motivated by who Jesus is and what he's done for us and that we would show honor to each other like he has shown honor to us. Um, and so my, I have three pretty simple points this morning. The first one is that people are worthy of honor. The second one is that you, you're a person, you're worthy of honor. And the third one is that we are commanded by God to outdo one another in showing honor. So the first place we're going to go this morning is Genesis 1 and 2. So go ahead and open up your, your Bibles or the app on your phone to Genesis 1 and 2. We're going to read both chapters uh, together. Again, that's Genesis 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so, and God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. 
And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let, earth, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with its seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food, and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created, in that day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land, and was watering the whole face of the ground, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden and in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So in this passage, we see God making everything. Uh, he creates all things. And specifically, especially in chapter 2, we learn about his creation of people. And the point for us to see here this morning is that, that God made us, made human beings, in a unique manner and for a unique role and relationship. So the first thing, God made us in a unique manner. God made everything out of nothing, right? Nothing exists. There, there's, there's nothing for him to make stuff out of. He just calls it forth uh, by the word of his power. He says, let there be light. There is light. He says, let there be earth. There is earth. Everything that he creates, he creates by speaking it into existence. He makes it all out of his own imaginative creativity, right? Think 
about God's imagination for a minute. Right? When we, when we talk about our imaginations, we often say that like, uh, uh, like our, our, our creativity or our, our imagination, there, there's no limit. But, but there is a limit for us. Right? Because we can only make stuff out of other stuff. We can only make things out of other things. God, there really is no limit for him. He, he is infinite. We are finite. God made stuff that wasn't stuff. He made things that weren't things before. There is no limit for him. And out of everything that God made, he made us. Right? Out of everything, he could have he made anything. And he made human beings. He uh, made us. And he made us in a unique way. He came down. He, he made Adam. He formed him out of the dust. He breathed his own life into him. Human beings are created in a way that's different from the, West, the, the, the rest of the way that his creation was made. He made us uniquely. He made us in an intimate, in a personal manner. We also saw in Genesis 1, verses 26 through 28, that we were made in the image of God. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Here we see that we are created for a unique relationship with God and a unique role with him. He uses these two words, image and likeness. And a lot of times those words just kind of seem like they're, they're synonyms. Like uh, Moses, as he's writing Genesis, is just kind of, you know, he's got his thesaurus open on his computer. And he says, I need to come up with another word here. I can't just use image again in the sentence. I need something else. And so he hits shift F7 and comes up with another one. But there's this guy named, named Peter Gentry, who's a, a brilliant scholar that works at uh, Southern Seminary in Louisville. And what he did is he went through uh, these words, image and likeness, and studied them in the, the culture that the Bible was written in and looked at how they're used in, in other languages in similar ways. And what he found out is that the word image uh, brings with it the notion of uh, relationship. Uh, no, sorry, that's likeness. Likeness brings with it the, the image of relationship. He, he's, when, when God describes us as being made in his likeness, when he describes Adam as being made in his likeness, he's bringing forth familial, family notions, that Adam is, is part of him in a unique way. And when he talks about him being made in his image, he's, he's bringing forth the idea that Adam is a, a vice regent, like a vice king. He's, he's ruling under God. We have been created in his image, in his likeness. And that means that we have a unique relationship with God. We are, we are connected to him. We're related to him in a way that, that no other aspects of his creation are. And we're created for that unique role. We're called to, to rule under him. He wants human beings to have dominion over everything on the earth. And because we're created in God's image, that means we are different from the rest of creation. Later, uh, after the flood, right, humanity rebels against God. He kicks them out of the garden. Things get worse and worse and worse. And then we get to Genesis 9, where, where God sends Noah out in the ark. And after, they, after the flood is over and, and things are kind of starting over, God is, God is kind of recommissioning Noah to go out in his creation. And he tells him that when they go out, they can do something different. In Genesis 1 and 2, they were only supposed to eat plants. But, but after Genesis 9, they can start to eat animals. God says, I've given you all the animals for food. Uh, he says, um, he says, every moving thing that it lives shall be food for you. As I gave you the plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood, so he's saying you can eat all the animals, you just can't eat them with blood because that's gross, right? Uh, and I'm not talking about like a medium rare steak. That's not blood, that's, that's juice, that's flavor. 
that if you cook it past medium rare, you're ruining. So don't, don't do that. Uh, but then after that, right, he says, I've given you all these things. You can eat all the animals. But, verse 5, for your lifeblood, that's human's blood, I will require a reckoning from every beast, and I will require it from man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. He says, verse 6, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For man, or for God, made man in his own image. He's saying there is a difference between killing an animal and killing a person, because a person is made in the image of God. I'm not saying that animals aren't important. I'm not saying animals aren't significant. I'm not saying that it's not a sad thing when animals die or are killed. What I'm saying is that human beings, because we're created in God's image, have a unique worth in God's creation. We have value. We have significance because we are made in his image. That's what God's word teaches us. We see the same thing in James chapter 3. Uh, when uh, James is talking about how all, all the damage we can do with our tongue. He says that we use the, the same instrument. We use our tongues both to bless God and to curse people who are made in his likeness. He says, brothers, this, this, this should not be. He's saying that uh, we should not malign people. We shouldn't talk bad about people. We shouldn't get angry with people. We shouldn't use our tongue to tear down people because they are made in the image of God. They have value. They have worth. People are worthy of honor because we are made in God's image. The end. Right? That means that people that have different political views than us, are, are, are they still made in God's image? Yes. What about if we disagree with them about masks or vaccinations? Are they still made in God's image? What if, what if they make a post on social media that we don't like. Are they still made in God's image? Yeah, everyone is made in God's image. There, there's no way to get around that. There's no way to get out from underneath that. Everyone is made in God's image. And because everyone is made in God's image, everyone is worthy of honor right? because they bear God's image. Now, now, I grant you, right, some people bear God's image better than others, right? When we sin, when we rebel against God, the image of God in us is, is corrupted and distorted. But when Jesus redeems us, he begins the process of renewing that image within us. But even the most vile sinner still bears God's image and is worthy of honor. So that's the first thing we need to see this morning. All people are worthy of honor. Everybody is made in God's image, even the people that we don't like. There's this quote from Sam Storms where he says, uh, never underestimate the degree to which you falsely believe that God loves less those who disagree with you more. And I think that we think that God values people less than us if they disagree with us, but everyone bears his image. Everyone is worthy of honor. The second thing that we need to see this morning, or that, that you need to see this morning, is that you're worthy of honor, right? As an individual, you are worthy of honor. And I think that it's important for us to get that shift, get that distinction, because we might hear, right? Yeah, everybody's treating God's image. Everybody's worthy of honor. And at the same time, we might not believe that we are worthy of honor. 
There's this book, Counsel from the Cross, that was written by Elise Fitzpatrick and Dennis Johnson. And in it, they say that, that everybody kind of falls into two groups. There are, there are sad moralists and happy moralists. And the gospel is the answer to both of those. But a sad moralist is someone who says, like, I'm, I'm a horrible person. Why would God love me? Like, I, I'm awful. Why would God like me? A happy moralist is someone who's like, I'm awesome. Of course God loves me. But the problem with both of those people is that we're putting our worth in something other than him. Right? We're putting our worth in something other than being created in his image. Uh, God loves you because you're a human being that he made in his image. God cares about you because he sent Jesus to, to die in your place. You are worthy of honor, not because of the things that you do or not because of the things that you don't do, but because of what he says about you, because he sent Jesus to die in your place, right? God knew, he knew that Adam and Eve were going to rebel against him. He knew that Adam and Eve were going to reject him, and yet he chose to create human beings anyway, right? He knew that I was going to sin against him. He knew that I was going to do a bad job of loving my wife this week, and yet he still gave me life. He knew that you were going to sin against him, and he gave you life, right? You are worthy of honor as a person, even though the creation that he breathed life into rebelled against him and rejected him, he sent Jesus to come back down here and to breathe out his life so that he could bring us back into relationship with him, so that he could bring us back into fellowship with him, so he could put us in a place where we actually can bear his image and bear his likeness in his creation. Paul says that we were bought with a price. Right, so God made us the first time. He owns us. We rebel against him. We reject him. He sends Jesus to, to buy us back. So we're owned by him twice. He cares about us. Right, we are worthy of honor. You, as a person, as an individual, are worthy of honor. I don't care what you think about yourself. Right, you're made in God's image. And that's worthy of honor. The third thing we need to see this morning which is a direct conclusion of the first two, is that we are called, we are commanded in God's word to outdo one another in showing honor, right? If, if we are worthy of honor, if everyone is worthy of honor, then shouldn't we be people that show honor to those people who are worthy of honor? Paul says in Romans 12, 10, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. We're focused on the second half there. Outdo one another in showing honor. We want to be a church that has this kind of culture. We want to be a church that outdoes one another in showing honor. We want to, to competitively show honor to each other. Now, first, I want to talk about what that doesn't mean. Right? I know I just said competition, but like, this isn't, this isn't a game, right? I don't want us to circle up after service and you be like, hey, you know, your hair looks great today, and me be like, hey, I like those shoes, and then you be like, hey, I like your new car, and me be like, hey, you did this thing well, and like, then the one person finally runs out of compliments, and then, then we win. Like, we've, we've done it. We've outdone them in showing honor. That's, that's not what we're talking about. We want to be a church that genuinely and, and eagerly and, and zealously shows true honor to each other. So what does it mean to show honor? There's, there's a few things I want to talk through. The first is we honor people because of who they are. 
right? We've already talked about this this morning, but they are image bearers of God. They are, they are fellow members of his family. And, and when you think about it, those are the two greatest statuses anyone can have. Right? Being an image bearer of God and being a member of his family, like th- those are the best things about anyone. We don't, we don't normally think that way. I, I kind of have a list in my head of like, if you check these boxes, like w- we're going to be good. We're going we're gonna to get along. We're going to be friends. But maybe if you don't check all these boxes, like we can still be friends, but like not, not like real friends. But people being made in his image, people being members of his family, people who've trusted in Christ, people who God has put his love on, that's enough for me to show them honor because of who they are, because who he has made them. God is for this person in front of me. Shouldn't I also be for them? The second reason why we show honor is because of who we are. Matt Chandler, when he talks about his church and the things they do, he says some, some things they do, they do because uh, they want other people to become Christians. There are people in their community that aren't believers, and so they do stuff as a church because they want those people to trust in Jesus. But there are also a lot of things they do as a church simply because they are already believers. We're called to show honor to people because of who they are and also because of who we are. Because we bear God's image, because we uh, represent Jesus to the world around us, we are called to show honor to people. And so let's say that we're, 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 we're in a circle after church or, or before church. We're, we're with a group of people. We're having a conversation. How would it change that conversation if Jesus was like supernaturally present in that conversation? Like you walk up to the circle, you see some people you know, you see some people you don't know, and then when you get in there, you're like, oh, one of those people I didn't know, that's Jesus, he's here. How how do you conduct yourself in that conversation? Probably honorably, right? You You would maybe not say things you would say in other settings. You would intentionally try to be encouraging. You would try to build people up. You would try to do the things that you're supposed to do. But the reality is, is that if we're people that are, have trusted in Jesus, if, if we're his, then Jesus is present with us in every conversation. Because of who we are, right? Where, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Jesus is present with us in our conversations. So we should act like it. Right? We, should, we should bring him into the conversation. We should talk honorably with one another. We should build each other up. Um, the third thing we need to see about honor is that honor is, is social. And I think this is where it kind of starts to help us understand how we do this, right? We, we show honor because of who other people are. We show honor because of who we are. Honor is a social thing. We don't maybe think this way, but Paul in his culture did. There's a scholar named, named Bruce Molina who, who looks at the way their culture works and tries to help us understand the Bible better in light of it. And he says this, honor is a claim to worth along with the social acknowledgement of worth. And so if we think of like honor as an equation, honor is what you think about yourself plus what the other people in your social circle think of you. That, that's, that equals honor. What you think of yourself plus what other people think about you, that equals the amount of honor that you have. Um, and so if, if honor is what I think about me plus what you think about me, that means that you have a very vital role in telling me my worth telling me how, how honorable or unhonorable I am. Um, 
And if you think back to those categories earlier of, of sad moralist or happy moralist, I think that means that we as a church play a very vital role in helping people understand who they are, who God has made them, how God feels about them. For people who are like, I'm awful, why would God love me? Our role is to step into their life and tell them who they are in Jesus, to, to build them up to tell them that they are worthwhile, to tell them that God loves them, to tell them that God has made them in his image, to tell them that, that Jesus is for them. Our job is to build them up so that they feel worthwhile, so that they feel worthy of honor. For people who are like, I'm awesome, I got it all together, we need to come in and remind them that their worth is not in, in what they own, not in the strength of flesh and bone. Their, their worth is in Jesus and what he's done for them. We're called to be in one another's lives so we can help each other know what it is that matters most about us. It's Jesus and what he's done for us. Another thing that we can learn from their culture is that, that Paul, when he gives this command, it's, it's a really costly command. Like for us, we think about it and we think, yeah, this is maybe difficult because it, it pushes me to do things I wouldn't normally do. But for Israel, they were an honor and shame culture which means that, that honor is like the best virtue you can have. Shame is, is the worst thing you can have. And honor for them was a limited commodity. Like you couldn't, you couldn't create it, right? You can't just like print money and send it out into circulation, except we do that all the time. With honor, you can't do that. You have um, honor, you get it from your birth, you get it if a, if a person in high standing says something good about you, but every, for them, every single social interaction you go into it and you either gain honor or you lose honor. There, there's no middle ground. So for Paul to tell the church to outdo one another in showing honor, he's saying, go out there and sacrifice. He's telling them to lay down their lives for one another, to give up what is most significant to them, right? to be willing to show honor to someone who's less than them in society so that they might be lifted up. To, to humble themselves so that others might be exalted. Paul is telling them to do something costly here. And this matters because of who we're called to be as his people. Right? If, if we actually went into every single social interaction thinking, what can I do in this conversation? What can I do in this interchange to cause this other person to be lifted up above me? to cause them to feel some of who they really are in Christ, to feel some of who God has, has called them to be, to make them feel worthy as a bearer of his image. How much different would our social interactions be? Right, if I go through the checkout line, not thinking how fast can this minimum wage employee ring up my stuff so I can get home to do the things I really wanna do, but instead thought, what can I do to make this person feel valuable today? Right? What can I do to show them that they matter? That, that God is, is for them, that God values them, that they bear his image? What would it look like if when uh, our kids are disobeying, if we try to show them that, that they are valuable and worthy of honor and not just try to get them to do what we want them to do? What would it look like if if when our spouse is sick, we cared more about them feeling the worth that God has for them and not in the fact that they're not doing the stuff they normally do. 
going into conversations, going into to meetings, going into to interchanges with people, trying to think of ways we can lift them up and make them feel God's love for them by how we interact with them is how we show honor to one another. That's how we outdo one another in showing honor. This is who we're called to be. This is what we're called to do. And so what are some practical ways we can start doing this as a church? We've got a couple things. The first one is, when you have people over to your house, take some time during all the time you're with them to intentionally try to make them feel valuable and worthwhile. Like, tell them why they matter to you. Encourage them. Build them up. Do something intentional to just say, hey, I care about you. Like, I'm on your side. I'm on your team. I'm for you. Like, you did this thing the other day. I saw it, and it was great. I really appreciate that. Build one another up. Show them honor. Take some intentional time when you have people in your home to show them honor. Like, it, it doesn't have to be weird. It might be awkward at first. It might be strange because we don't normally do that. But take some time to do that. And I think that that's something that we should build in to when we gather with one another. Right? And so before and after service, when you're in conversations with people, listen to them. Right? Don't just wait for a pause so you can say what you want to say. But, but hear what's going on with them. Encourage them about it. Build them up. Look for ways in those conversations to show them honor. When we have MCs, when we have men's fellowship, when we have women's fellowship, we should be building some time into some of those uh, meetings where we can show honor to one another, right? Where we can make everyone feel as awkward as possible and just have a time where we go around the circle and encourage other people, right? It'll be, it'll be weird at first. We won't like it at first. But we're called to outdo one another in showing honor. And I know at the beginning of the series, uh, I, I talked about how uh, sarcasm doesn't really have a place in a culture that, that shows honor to one another. And, and I had some conversations with people about that afterwards. And I just want to say, like, I'm not saying that, that we can't joke. I'm not saying that we can't have a sense of humor. I'm not saying that we can't ever be sarcastic. Um, and if you know me at all, you know that that's not what I was saying because that's a big part of who I am. What I'm saying is that we can't do those things when we're showing honor to people. I think that we, uh, a lot of times you'll hear around BC a, a complicit, right? Uh, hey, you did this thing really well for somebody like you. And like, we don't, we don't mean it like that sounded really like hateful. Uh, it's we say something nice and then we feel weird about it because we don't have that culture and it makes us uncomfortable because we're being vulnerable, our feelings are out there. And so then we throw in a joke to kind of like take that awkwardness away. But what can happen is that when we do that, we also take the honor away. And so we want to be outdoing one another with honor. We want to be joyful about it. We want to be able to have fun with one another. But when we're seriously trying to build people up, we should just do it seriously even if it makes us feel awkward, even if it's a little uncomfortable. The more we do it, the more comfortable it will get. Um, I think the last thing that we should really see when we think about showing honor. So people are worthy of honor. We, as individuals, are worthy of honor. We're called to outdo one another in showing honor. The fourth thing is that Jesus showed honor. 
right? In the Gospels, Jesus repeatedly says things to his disciples like uh, when, when they go to a wedding or when they go to a feast, they're, they're not supposed to take the high seat. They're not supposed to take the place of honor. Instead, they're supposed to take the low place. And like we think about that and kind of point it towards ourselves, but you also need to remember that Jesus was with the disciples for three years. Right? He, he went to feasts with them. He went to weddings with them. And so when he went to feasts and when he went to weddings with them, do you think that Jesus took what he said and did it? Or do you think Jesus was like, oh, that's just for you guys. I'm going to take the high place. Right? He put himself in the low place. Right? The, one, the one who's most worthy right, of, of blessing and honor and glory. That's him. And yet he put himself in the low place so that he might outdo others in showing honor. He, he puts other people before himself. He's the one that's most worthy, and he shows honor to us. Right? He shows honor to us by coming down here. Right? Instead of exalting himself, he made himself low. He took the form of a servant. He came down here so that he might show us honor, to show us how valuable we are, how worthy we are, how much significance we have of people who were created in God's image. He bought us back. He breathed out his life so that God could breathe life into us, so that we could be made new creations. Jesus welcomed us into his family. And so when we think about that equation of honor, right, it's, it's what I think about myself plus what those closest think about me. Like we need to bring Jesus into that. We're honorable we're worthy not because we say that we are not because our friends say that we are because god says that we are because he made us in his image because he put his spirit within us because he brought us into his family jesus came down to show us honor to outdo us in showing honor so the question we need to ask ourselves is should we be people that show honor to the people that jesus shows honor to I think the answer to that question is yes, right? If Jesus says that someone is worthy of honor, then they are worthy of honor. And so we, like Paul says, need to be a church, need to be a people that outdo one another in showing honor. So, so do it. I know, I feel like these sermons are super weird to like interact with people afterwards, like last week, I was just like, I don't want to be in a situation where everybody's just confessing sin, like right now. Like, let's, let's give it a couple days and then do that. Um, but I think showing honor is, it's, it's easier. And so maybe try to be intentional today about showing honor to other people as you, as you interact with them. Um, and certainly this week, take opportunities to do this. During the prayer class this morning, we, we talked about kind of the, the, the tension of when you do something good, of feeling like you're doing it just so that other people would see that you're doing something good. Um, but the reality is our motives are always going to be a little mixed. And so let's just be people that do what God calls us to do and, and let him, by his spirit, work out the, the tension that exists in our hearts. Um, let's, let's pray together and we'll continue in the rest of the service. Jesus, we thank you that even though humanity rebelled against you and rejected you as king, 
that you came back down to your creation. To breathe life into us once again. To make us new creations. To, to buy us back into your family. To bring us back into relationship with you. I pray that, that you would send your spirit to help us to begin to, to, to view other people with, with the dignity and worth and value that you created them as your image bearers. Pray that you would cause us to begin to, to feel about other people how you feel about them. That we would, we would love people not, not out of our, our broken and, and tainted heart, but that we would have your heart for them. We pray that you would use your spirit to make us people that outdo one another in showing honor. That we would look not to our own interests, not to, to build ourselves up, not to make us look good, but to build others up, to help them see that they have worth as your people because you have made them and you have bought them with a price. Jesus, we pray that you would continue to meet with us and, and pour out your spirit upon us as we continue to worship you together this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen.